0: This question, first one, who is Jesus Christ? And then the second one, do you know him? And uh, you cannot be wrong about these two questions and be right with God. There is no middle ground. Not one of us on this planet can afford to be wrong about Jesus Christ. It's a matter of life and death. And we will see how the Bible this morning answers the first question. And I trust we'll be challenged with our answer to the second question. And the title this morning, not from the t-shirt, but from the text, is The Glorious Christ. And we, um, in the adult Sunday school and the youth Sunday school through the summer, we've been looking at understanding the Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's roles is to magnify Christ. John chapter 16, 14, Jesus told his disciples, when the Spirit comes, he will bring glory to me. So one of the roles that the Spirit does is to magnify the glorious Christ. In the Old Testament, there was the preparation for Jesus' coming. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have what is the presentation of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And then the book of Acts, Onwards through church history, through the church age, to us here and now, we have what is called then the proclamation of Jesus Christ until eventually, one day, the culmination in heaven. But unfortunately, in the world that we live in today, and some churches, I'm afraid, um, there are many incorrect pictures of who Jesus is. Um, Many answers to this first question. I mean, the Jesus of the Religious huckster on TV who just wants you healthy and wealthy. Uh, we got the Jesus of the new age who is just the positive spiritual force in the universe. we got the Jesus of, unfortunately, too much modern music that makes him very shallow. And uh, the Jesus of the cults, who's good, but he's not God. And so this is the Jesus that we have out there. And if we're going to try and trust in any of those Jesuses, it's like... A drowning man grabbing a rope that's attached to an anvil. And none of us here this morning can afford to be wrong about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is all over the Scriptures. There was a time when, um, after His resurrection, uh, there were two disciples walking on the road to the town called Emmaus. And Jesus comes alongside them, and discusses some things. And in Luke 24, 27... It says this, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Right from the beginning. Philip, he was miraculously taken to have a divine appointment with an Ethiopian that was traveling. The Ethiopian's reading a scroll. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 35 it says, and then Philip began with the very passage the guy was reading began with the very passage, and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. He had the Old Testament, this Ethiopian. And there are many statements in the Bible about Christ. And the one we will look at this morning could not be more crystal clear for us about who Jesus Christ is. And before we look at that, why don't you take a moment to pray with me. Why don't you take a moment, pray for your own heart, that um, you would see the glories of Christ. Pray for maybe somebody around you too. And also pray for me. Pray that I would be faithful in proclaiming this glorious Christ this morning. Father God, what a joy it is to see Our glorious Savior, in your text this morning. And we pray that you would, as James writes, that you would engraft these truths into our hearts. We ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, as you turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15, we have here the identification of who Christ is. It's going to be super clear. Paul is writing to the believers in the town of Colossa, the book of Colossians. And he's going to address for them some heretical thoughts that were being spread about Jesus. But what I want you to understand is whether it's thoughts that were spread 2,000 years ago in Colossa, or in New York State this last week. There are these things going around and God's word addresses these things. Many people believe that this particular passage we're going to look at is actually one of the church's first hymns. They used to sing the Psalms, but this also quickly became a hymn that they sang. And we're going to dive into this gold mine to see who Jesus is in these verses. And Paul refutes teachings in that day, and he refutes teachings in our day too. These teachings of, at best, Jesus is created and he's just the Son of God. And maybe even at worst, he was just the good guy that God chose to use for a couple of years on this earth. And Paul's going to pull out six aces. Imagine you had six aces in most card games. I think you would probably win that round of whatever you were playing. And he's going to pull out six aces this morning to encourage believers and also to challenge unbelievers. And the first one that we have this morning is Christ is God. We're going to walk our way through this passage as we go. Colossians 1, 15 to 20, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Let's stop there. So what does it mean to be in the image of God? Mankind, in Genesis chapter 1, 27, was created in the image of God. So what does it mean for Christ to be in the image of God? Um, We are certainly not made, mankind. We are certainly not made in the moral image of God. God is holy, we are not. Even Adam, Adam wasn't created holy, he was created innocent and he messed up on the first test. But God is holy, we are not. So we're not created in the moral image of God. We as human beings are not created in God's image essentially. What that means is that in essence, we are not omnipotent, omniscient, okay, we are not omnipresent or immutable, unchangeable. We are not created in the image of God, essentially. But what we are created in the image of God is in the sense of personality, and what that is is we can think, we can feel, we can make decisions. Okay, that's what it means to be in the image of God. And I mean decisions that are are based on logic, based on facts, not. Uh, Like animal instinct, you just do things. We have logic, we have thought, and that's one of the ways that we are created in God's image, person in personality. But just remember, though, even though we are created in that way, our image is very, very marred because of sin. We are fallen creatures. So that's what it means for us to be created in the image of God. Christ, however, in the image of God, he is the only really true, perfect faultless absolutely accurate image of the invisible God Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being of his essence Christ is God the exact essence nothing missing nothing altered nothing changed he is God so verse 15 says he is the image of the invisible God. And God is not visible to the human eye. God is a spirit, the Bible clearly teaches us. He doesn't have hands and eyes. Those are figures of speech in the Bible that we have when it says things like the eyes of the Lord look to and fro. It means his his all knowingness, his omniscience, he knows all. Or the, the mighty hand of the Lord. Well that's showing his power. He is a spirit. He is invisible. But God became a man and Christ was God, it says there, made visible. He's the image of the invisible God. Think about it this way. Why is Jesus in John chapter 1, 1 John 1, uh, referred to as the word? You see, for the Hebrew people, they always thought of the revelation of who God was, God's personality, in terms of what God said. They never saw him, but they heard him throughout the Old Testament. is thus saith the Lord, that was always the thought of God being expressed to them was in terms of speaking. God manifesting to them was verbal. No wonder when Jesus came into the world, then John writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was what? Was God. And we could go on and on throughout scriptures like this. Christ is God. One last one. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. And this is beautiful. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. God and his glory are inseparable. So God is not separated from his glory. So how did he do this? How did he give to man the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? Here it comes. In that verse, in the face of Christ. That's how He shows us Himself through Jesus Christ. The perfect, unblemished, exact essence of God. Jesus is not a sketch of God. He is totally and completely all filled in. You'll see that in the next couple of verses in verse 19. Just look there for a moment. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Next time, maybe a, a Jehovah's Witness comes and maybe knocks at your door, they don't generally come to my door. <laughs> Probably because we're tucked back there. But Jehovah's Witness comes, and, 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 and just for those of you who may not know, uh, they don't believe that uh, Jesus is God. They believe that He was a created being. We'll look at that in a moment. And uh, that He was just the Son of God. You can just ask them, say, grab their New World Translation, ask them to turn to Colossians chapter 2. And verse 9. So just the next chapter. And have them read it. In Colossians 2, verse 9 says this In him, talking of Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That fullness, all God's Godness, his deity, is in Jesus Christ. Usually they look at each other and tell you they will get back to you. But use that as an opportunity to show that's the clear one of the clearest verses in scripture about that. And this is the point of departure from biblical Christianity, from every other cult, every other world religion and sect. This is the part of departure. The point of departure. If you want to know what God is like, look at Christ. Remember, even Philip asked Jesus this. He said, Show us the Father. And Jesus replied. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know who God is. And everything else this morning is built upon the very foundation that Christ is God. Let's keep going in verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. And that particular phrase has caused people a lot of trouble because they misunderstand the Jewish culture and what Paul is saying. This first begotten or the firstborn of all creation this is a reference to Christ's position. It's not a reference to time. Okay? He was not the first being created. This refers to rank. It refers to authority. It refers to his throne rights, his primacy, not chronology. Christ is the honored one. He's the privileged one. He's the prestigious one. He's the one that says in Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth. Remember the twins. And I know twins always debate this. I was first. I was first. We've got a couple of twins over here and I'm sure a few others around. But you have this, the twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. Yet, Jacob was the firstborn. And you're all looking at me like, okay, how does that work? Listen to Psalm 89. This is God speaking of Jacob. I will make him my firstborn, and then God defines. What does he mean by firstborn here? Not time. He says, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That's what it means to be firstborn, the highest, the elevated one. And this has been one thing Satan wants to do to make sure that nobody understands who Jesus fully is and that he is fully God, 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Jesus is not a sub-God or a demigod. He is God. We must worship him. We must adore him and reverence him in every moment of every day. Jesus is not just there to give us Helpful tips to get through our day, okay? When He speaks, we sing this song, He roars like a lion. He has unrivaled authority. He is God. And being God, the Scripture continues to the next point as we keep going, that Christ is created, verse 16, For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created through Him and for Him. And in that verse there, we have three prepositional phrases. By Him, through Him, for Him. By Him. Jesus didn't outsource creation. Okay? It was all done in-house by His omnipotent power because He is God. And He did it. It was through Him. He is the source of all things that are ever created. He is the source of it all. And then we have for Him, for His own purpose, for His own glory, for His own pleasure. He is the reason that you have breath in your lungs right now. He is the reason that you have a bazillion neurological thoughts passing, pulsing through your brain, even if you're sleeping. Here's the reason, okay? For you to live your life, or for me to live my life disconnected from Christ and not knowing Him as God and Savior, is to miss the entire reason why we are on this planet. One old preacher said, he says, if you want to live for yourself, go and create your own universe. He's right. And, and it, it's a slap in Jesus' face to even think we could. You know? that we could live our own lives for ourselves, no consequences. So all of creation, and if you're wondering, that includes you, (laughs) includes me, Okay, everything about our very existence is from Christ, it's through Christ, and it is for Christ. Our purpose is to know Him, and as Paul says, every other thing in comparison is rubbish, every other thing. Evolution in the world that we have today it denies the very existence of Christ and His Godness. It Does that? And you see, so Christ's relation to this created world is one of supremacy, because He created it all and He is God, which, by the way, is another proof that that firstborn can't mean chronological, because if if, if He was created, then He couldn't create all things. Makes sense, okay? Now, I'm no scientist, no engineer by any stretch of the imagination, okay? But I can look at this small fraction of the world that I see out here, and you can see too that it is immensely complex, immensely complex. And then you look at a little baby, and you think to yourself, and you marvel that the creator of those gigantic galaxies and the creator of that microscopic world became a little baby who would, 33 years later, then give his life for sinners. Because he's the only one who could, because he is God. And that is a glorious Savior who came to die on the cross to redeem us wretches. I mean, this galaxy that we have, I mean, there are stars that their circumference is bigger than the earth's circumference of the sun. Okay? The star is bigger. Than that, and there are, I don't know, millions and bazillions of galaxies and stars out there, yet they're not infinite in number. The galaxy is not infinite. Why do I say this? Well, Psalm 147 says, He determines the number of the stars. And how's this? And He calls them each by name, all of them. He determines. Although this universe is absolutely massive, it's not infinite, only God is infinite. Isaiah 40, verse 12, with the breadth of his hand, he marked off the heavens. That massive universe. Jesus says, yeah, it's about that big. Because he is God and he's creator God. I could share with you just a few more things. I'm sure you know them. The earth's rotation, if it slowed down just a little, we would alternately freeze or burn, depends on which side you are, when, to the sun but it rotates constantly. The temperature of the sun, if it changed a few percent, that would happen to us, either freeze or burn. The moon, if it was just a little bit closer, it would flood our whole entire world like this. God has placed it exactly where he wants it. He has created it all perfectly, and yet, I sometimes question, maybe you're like me, I'm not sure he can handle this situation in my life. Hmm? Did he really walk on water? Did he really raise the dead? Heal the lame? This passage here tells me, guess again. He did. And Paul is building the thoughts here of the glorious Christ. So let's keep going. Verse 16. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. I think that covers everything. (laughs) I remember going to the shops, to the store once. Now I wanted to buy Christmas lights. And I picked up the Christmas lights. And how I like to do is I like to read the packaging sometimes. And it said there, here's Christmas lights. For indoor or outdoor use only. <laughs> I'm like, what are the uses there? I, mean, I don't know. Well, he covers everything. There's no other category here at all. Out there, down here, physical, spiritual. You see, the city of Colossae, to whom Paul is writing, they struggled with Angelic worship, worship of spirit beings, worship of mystic forces, same thing today, auras, feng shui, whatever. And we are not to look at those things as guidance in our lives, the way we arrange our furniture in our homes or the ornaments we dangle here and there. No, we don't look to those things for guidance. The Bible clearly states here that we don't worship the creation. Romans chapter 1, we worship the creator, God. So it says they're invisible, and then it kind of lists for us what does invisible mean there. Invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And this categorizes here for us the spiritual realm. Fortunately, time doesn't allow for us to delve into all those distinctions, but suffice just quickly to comment here that Christ has created them all. He created all the angels, and when they, Satan, rebelled against God with his third of the angelic forces then, and they became demons. They were cursed for all eternity, and their final judgment awaits. But they were all created as perfect angelic beings. In Hebrews 1, there are seven Old Testament quotes that shows that Christ is supreme over all the angelic realms. Ephesians chapter 1 and 21 lists some of this Christ. Is far above, here's it again, all principality, all power and all might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that age which is to come. And so all things as Christ as Creator, as God, as creator, have been put under his feet as he is the firstborn, the most important one and in charge. But like those commercials, wait, that's not all. Let's keep going. Christ is sustainer. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Will you remember the words when Jesus was speaking to the Jewish people? John 8 58. He says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Before there was anything, there was him. That's necessary if you're going to create everything. You need to be there before all things. Jesus is never behind. He's never playing catch up. He's never putting in a few extra hours to get ahead. He's not at all. He is I am. And there was never a time when He was not. There's a wonderful often quoted uh, Christmas scripture that we use in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. It's familiar, you can hear it. I want Christmas to come now. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and Everlasting Father, or Eternal Father. This does not mean that Jesus is God the Father, Okay. What it means here is that Christ is the creator. He is the father of all eternities. That's what it means. He is the father of all everlasting. He created time. He created everything. And he is the sustainer. And he sustains even, including here, the eternities. So verse 17, he is before all things. And in him all things hold Together, Hebrews 1, 3 says, present tense, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Everything. The late R.C. Sproul, who just passed away a couple of months ago, he said, there is no maverick molecule in all creation. Not one. Not one. You see, deists who who want God to be this God far away, where that terrible song like 30 years came out, um, From a distance. No, 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 no. Okay, God is intricately involved. He holds all things together. Theistic evolutionists want to see Jesus just as this watchmaker, kind of winds up creation and lets it go and walks away and says it can evolve by itself and do whatever it wants to do. That's not what we have here. He is intimately involved in all creation, including humanity and especially including the life of you as a believer. There is no such thing as random chance with God, no maverick molecules. He decides the role of every dice, Proverbs chapter sixteen, verse thirty three says Luke twelve seven says every hair on our head is numbered. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you La? Huh? <laughs> But you know what's so amazing about that scripture is if you actually look at it there, it's not like, oh, every, you've you, you got a number, like, okay, so, you know, Dave, you've got five, I've got three, okay, and you've got 47 million or whatever it is. No, it doesn't mean that. It means that, think this one's number is 27,353. That's how intimately he knows things, intricately he knows things. It's amazing. And then again, I ask myself, Do you face challenges in life? Are you weary? Maybe. Do you feel like giving up? Maybe collapsing in a heap sometimes, throwing in the towel? I can assure you then, on the authority of God's Word, that this should encourage our hearts immensely. And Christ is in control. To trust Him, to run into His enfolding arms, He's got every molecule. He's got every split second and He sustains that, and He sustains you. And we are encouraged here to place our weak lives into His very strong hands. But I want to warn us today, as the Scripture does, that there will come a day when He is going to let this creation go. Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And that word there, destroyed, dissolved, disappear, it literally means it will be untied and not held together. That's what it means. There will come a day when Christ will loosen that and creation will be judged. And if we are not kept firmly in Christ's, By trusting in Him as our Savior, by His covering righteousness, we will see that moment. And if we are not, like the passage in verse 20 says, at peace through His blood shed on the cross, then that final judgment awaits. Christ is the sustainer. Number four, Christ is head of His church. Let's read verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Christ is not in a supporting role here at church. He is in the supreme role, directing and governing all things and leading his church. And we are here to serving him. And there are three aspects to this as head of the body, the church. He is the head. And there are many metaphors in the Bible for church. We are called a family. We're called a kingdom. We're called a vineyard. We're called a flock. We're called a bride. But probably the most common one is we are called a body. It is an organic thing. Christ is the head and we are the limbs and the organs and those parts that function in response to the head. We are tied to Christ. We have unity under him, the chief shepherd. And that is we are all one body going in one place and that is to honor Christ. The glorious Christ, and we will see this in a moment, pictured beautifully here, when we come and have communion together. Communion means sharing together as a body. So that's one aspect. And yet, although there is this one-mindedness and this unity, unity of response to the Head, who is Christ, at the same time, we've seen in our study in, on the summer, in the summer, that there is a diversity of different gifts and different ministries. We heard that this morning. In our meeting together, there's opportunities that we have to use those in the body of Christ under His leadership and guidance. And there is also, the third part of this, there is a common ministry that we have one to another as the body. This is vital. Maybe a helpful explanation I heard one guy give to us. um, My left elbow is itching. My brain doesn't send an impulse to the left elbow and say, stop itching. What does it do? It sends the information to right hand. It says, brother left elbow is itchy. (laughs) Scratch him. Okay? That's how we minister to one another. Christ is the head. We serve one another, serve the body, and we mentor and minister to one another, taking direction from Christ through His Word. Verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He is the beginning. The word is arch. We get this archbishop, primary, arch rival, okay? It means he is the arch over the church, the head. But it also means this, the word arch. It also means this, that he is the source. He is the source of all life. He is the source of all Christian life. He is the source of all life of this church. He is the source, He is primary, He is head, and it is by His originating power that we are a church together. And in, this is a statement on the all sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If He is the source, we have no need of anything besides what He alone supplies to us. 2 Peter 1 3 His divine power has granted to us, has sourced to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called you, here it is, to His own glory and His own excellence. And because all creation, invisible, visible, is from Him, it is to be for Him, and it is to be for His glory. Because the church is from Him, it is to be for Him and for His glory. The fifth one, Christ is the risen Savior. And we have dealt with the firstborn, part of this sentence here. And even in the sentence, it doesn't make sense chronologically. I mean, it would be wrong. It says a firstborn from among the dead. And if it meant he was the first one in time to rise from the dead, that would be unbiblical because we have Elijah and Elisha raising widows' sons. We have Jesus raising the widow's son from the town of Nain. We have Jesus raising Jairus' daughter We have Jesus raising Lazarus, all before Jesus rose from the dead. So it cannot mean that. You know what it means, if you've been listening. Out of all the people who have been raised from the dead, he is the chief. He is the primary one. He is the greatest of all. He laid down his life, the Bible says, and he took it up again. And he is the most important one ever. And he is the firstborn from among the dead. And then it says for us, so that, and here is The purpose of the resurrection mentioned in this verse, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. He might be supreme over all. It is all about the glorious Christ who is God and who came to save us sinners. Listen to one preacher. He says this. It stands to reason, I believe, that the one who is first in rank in the universe one who is the point of reference for history, one who is the agent, the goal, the forerunner, the sustainer, the governor in the sphere of creation, the one who is head of the church, the one who is the beginning, the source, the chief one, the one who is the ranking one of all those resurrected, that one has the right to the title of supremacy. Wouldn't you say? Amen. You see, if Christ remained In that tomb, then nothing else matters. Think about that. If he stayed in that tomb. But he didn't. Because Christ rose from that tomb, get this nothing else matters. Except him. Except him. He is supreme. Now, I'm not saying that your day-to-day life and decisions and interactions are inconsequential. But they are to be all for His own glory and His excellence. And because He rose from the dead, He could be our risen Savior and conquer sin and death. And He must have first place in every aspect of our lives. First place in our marriage. Walter, you challenged Jake and Becker with that yesterday. First place in our families vocation, time, money, pleasures in our playing, art, music, first place in our ministries, first place in our worship services, first place in our church. He has the throne rights to expect that of us. And as we close, the last point. Christ is the exalted ruler over everything else. There is nothing that escapes him. Verse 19: For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Did you catch that little bit there? That phrase? We've already seen it four times in this passage. The phrase I'm talking about is all things. Just let me remind you. Verse 16, all things were created by him, all things through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's another one slightly different. Verse 18, it says, in everything, same concept here, that he might have the supremacy. So now in verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things. So in what sense does he reconcile all things? Visible and invisible? Because the verse continues, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Okay, It cannot be salvation because not everybody will be saved. Christianity is not universalism. Everybody's going to get there. Okay? It's not at all. Certainly, the invisible things like Satan and the demons, we know their judgment is sure. He will not reconcile them to God in that way. Salvation. For believers, the verse talks about it, peace through His blood shed on the cross. That's salvation. But for the rest of creation, we see this reconciliation in terms, you be clear, not of salvation, but in terms of their submission to the Lordship and the supremacy of Christ. So remember the context here. We're going to draw the line. Firstborn from among the dead, so resurrection and then ascension. And we go to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, hear these terms, all things, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You either have acknowledged Christ as Lord here on earth and are at peace through his blood shed on the cross and you are God's child, and you will be with Him and Christ and the Holy Spirit for all eternity enjoying them. Or, on that day, He will reconcile as you being submitted to that, His Lordship, bowing your knee, and then it would be too late at that time. See, on that day, there will be no atheists, there will be no agnostics, there will be no evolutionists. Everyone will acknowledge the supremacy and the lordship of the glorious Savior Christ. And I plead with you don't wait till that day. Don't wait till that day. So, how do you answer these two questions this morning? Who is Jesus? Well, the Bible has made it very clear in this particular passage He's the glorious Christ, who is God, the Creator, the Sustainer of the seen and unseen. He is the head of the church, He is the risen Savior. And He is the exalted ruler over everything else. The Bible answers that question for us. But you need to answer the second question. Do you know Him? Have you recognized and responded to Him in saving, intimate, personal way through trusting Christ? Have you asked Him, as it says there, to bring you to peace with His Father through His shed blood on the cross? His sacrifice that He made taking your place, taking your sin, giving you His righteousness. Your standing before God is only because of Him and His right standing before His Father. And In a moment, we're going to enjoy a time of celebrating and remembering Christ as our Savior in communion. And maybe those gentlemen who are going to come and help can come and be seated up front here. For those of you here who have trusted in Christ, to rescue them. I want you this morning to be reminded and to continue to trust in the glorious Christ and and who He is. Maybe there are some of you here this morning, you haven't done that or you are unsure. Please, I implore you to speak to a a friend who is walking with the Lord. I know any of these gentlemen up front here would love to talk to you right away.